Welcome to episode 5 of Culture Confluence, a podcast about arts and culture in Prince George, hosted and produced by me, Kate Partridge, with support from CIFR 88.7 FM and the Community Arts Council of Prince George. Today, we take a look at the visual arts landscape through the eyes of local artists and arts presenters. First up, I talk to Jen Piggin, artist and arts facilitator at Amanika Arts Centre. Up next, Megan Hunter-Gochi, assistant curator at Two Rivers Gallery, and Twyla Exner, director of public programs, come in to chat about the work that Two Rivers does to bring visual arts to Prince George and highlight our town's local talent. Finally, I sit down with local artist Audrey McKinnon de Leon to talk about her process and how her art has been impacted by her move to Prince George five years ago. That's all coming up in the next hour on Culture Confluence. Before we jump into this episode, I must acknowledge the territories where I live and work and where this podcast is based. I've been thinking a lot about territorial acknowledgements lately and the importance of staying present and engaged in the statement. To me, acknowledging the territories we're on doesn't have to do with who owns the land per se, though land rights are essential in the world of late-stage capitalism and rampant resource extraction. Instead, it has to do with acknowledging that the colonial systems and institutions like City Hall, the RCMP, public schools, and more have no natural claim to power, nor are they the only systems of governments currently operating here. It has to do with acknowledging that the histories that led us, all of us, to this particular moment and the impact of colonial systems on our daily lives are wrapped up in an ongoing process of colonization that meets resistance daily. A territorial acknowledgement to me acts not just as a reminder about a violent past and our responsibilities to contend with our present, but as a reminder that the systems and institutions we are beholden to are changeable, and in the big scheme of things, have only a small historical precedent. So with gratitude and a sense of hope for the future, I'll say it again, we live and work on the traditional unceded lands of the Claytley today. So I have Jen Pagan in the studio with me today. Jen, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work at Amanika Arts Center? Sure. I am Jennifer Pagan. I'm a Wet'suwet'en, Gidomden clan, that's a bear wolf, um, French-Canadian and Italian, and I'm a member of the Clayton. I'm also a teacher and an instructor, an artist, and I think I'm going to call myself an art facilitator for Amanika Arts Center. Um, I'm on the board as a a board member, along with several other people. We've got Rob Buddy, Dean Marsters, Darcy Smith, Ben Nutson, Chelsea Miller, and we have some volunteers. All the board members are volunteers as well. So 
I've been part of the Omnica Art Center since it began a couple of years ago. Uh, we had several people come through the board in uh, the last couple of years, and we have uh, new applicants also sitting on the table for our next board meeting, so we're excited to have new volunteers join us. The board members are all volunteer members that help organize and run the Omnica Art Center. We do the fundraising, the event you know, marketing, pretty much everything in the book to make it function, the finances. So it's really great to have a, a growing team to be able to do all the work because as Omnica continues, we need to start stepping it up a little and working a little harder to make these events possible and keep the space. Our first year was um, sponsored by the Emily Carr Institute as well as the uh, their living labs. So they covered our rent and our bills for the first year. And then after that, we had to seek more funding and start sort of a business plan for how we're going to ascertain funds to pay the bill and the rent. <laughs> so, yeah. And with that, I basically, for myself, help organize the volunteers and book events, um, organize meetings, just kind of keeping the whole thing together. The emails, the Facebook, you know how it is. It's got got a million um, different legs and tentacles to this piece. So uh, we work together and uh, kind of make it happen. Uh, and you're kind of on the front lines. You're, you're the face of Amanika a lot of the time. What is the importance of having volunteers in kind of a community-driven endeavor, that kind of support network around you in creating a sustainable art space? Oh, it's integral to our existence. Without our volunteers, we wouldn't be anywhere. We've had so many people put in so much time. And um, when people have the time, it's wonderful to have them there. And we understand when people have to leave for personal reasons or, you know, jobs and things like that. So we do have a bit of turnover with volunteers, but um, we do have some really solid volunteers that come all the time that put in their um, time either at home or in the space at times. Um, We started off as kind of like a grassroots artist-run center and grew into to ensuring that, you know, with our vision from the Neighborhood Time Exchange was to continue what we had started there, or what was started with Emily Carr, to create a space of interdisciplinary arts, you know, so having a multiple-use artist-run center for all of the arts, including, you know, visual, literary arts, music, spoken word, anything that you can think of that is art-related, we want to be able to have there. So we've got books, we've got a little library, we have, you know, a stage for events and storytelling and music, um, we have the wall space for the art, um, and we have plinths to put sculptures on. And I think we have um, many, many plans for the future. We have artists in residence that part of their residency is to do an exhibition, to spend time in the studio or um, creating artwork at the at the art center, as well as doing a workshop. So each of the artists uh, that come through our space, we'll have some time with the public to uh, teach. And our goal is to be as accessible as possible. So everything's by donation and nobody's really turned away. There are some events that are private events or public functions that are organized by other groups that, you know, charge an entry fee to come in. So it's kind of a multi-use space. We've helped spark off, was it the Farm Fest last year? And um, yeah, we just hope to have like maybe an art crawl in Prince George soon. So we've got multiple um, groups of artists that run different spaces that I think really would be nice to get everybody together and kind of check it all, check it all out at once. Um, I know they have these in other cities and towns, so I think it's something we can definitely do here. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned some of the things that are that are coming up at Almanica. What's currently happening there? 
Um, tell us a little bit more about the Unfold exhibits. So our Unfold exhi- exhibition is, uh, we started off with thinking we need something for the summer. We don't have an artist in residence. Uh, we need to have, uh, we have a, had a budget from one of our small grants to do an emerging artist exhibition. So we put the call out and we had so many submissions and we're so glad to see this because that's what we're really about, uh, that we decided to extend it and have two exhibitions instead of just one and included everybody. So with that Unfold exhibition, we had um, students, we had people that are later in their uh, lives and starting their art career at all different stages. So what what's really exciting about this is a lot of these artists haven't exhibited in Prince George or anywhere else to begin with, and they're learning a lot about, you know, framing and hanging, and um, we're learning a lot as well as we teach them what, you know, emerging artists have different needs than, uh, you know, experienced artists do. So trying to support them and help them learn and grow from where they are and give them the exposure that they deserve because a lot of these artists, like I said, you know, I've been in the art um, community for quite a while in Prince George and, you know, have met less than half of these artists and their work is just so amazing. So we're excited to share that. One of the artists that submitted, submitted late, but we were excited by that because uh, Rimple Carr, she's a henna artist and so we decided, well, it's use you as the uh, the workshop artist for the exhibition. So she's going to be doing a henna workshop on August 12th in the evening. Um, and that's where she'll teach us how to make the cones, how to hold the cones, how to make the henna, and then how to do some designs. So there's, you know, an example of one of the workshops that we have. Um, each of the artists will have their own sort of spin or take on it, depending on what their strengths are and what their comfort levels are. During that Unfold launch, we also, uh, for Unfold 2, Unfold 1 is up until August the 13th, and then on the 15th is when we, Unfold 2 will be launched with the DJ nights. So we're going to have Thursday night DJ nights twice a month, uh, piloting this and trying to get people out, right? It sparked from the idea of the conscious dance that we have on Tuesday nights. We have um, drop-in conscious dance that's going to start back up in September. And people have really sort of been drawn to that. So we thought, well, let's get some DJs in. And so they're local DJs and DJs that come from out of town. Uh, So one night of the month will be a dry night. So for people that want to come out and just dance and not, you know, engage in in drinking. The other night will be a licensed event and it's all ages. So people can come and dance and, you know, enjoy a few drinks. It's Thursday nights. Sometimes people don't work Fridays. So we're hoping it'll be a good turnout. but I think, you know, for our community, just getting out and moving and dancing around, especially in the winter when the days get sort of shorter and it's darker out, you want to get out more often. As for other events, uh, we have weekly events, open drum circles. They're from 2 to 4. And we're going to start up on the 25th with a new um, activity. It's going to be slightly language circles from 4 to 6, so following the drum circle We'll have um, one of our elders, Edith Frederick, and we're going to invite some more elders to join us and just kind of sit down and learn the language, get the basics, and then start building from there for, you know, our community, not just our Aboriginal community, but the non-Indigenous community that supports us, like the teachers and the EAs and um, anyone who's interested. There's people who would love to learn it, and so this is an opportunity for people to do that. We used to have beating circles on Wednesday nights, but our lovely artist, Lynette LaFontaine, she's an artist in residence for one of our months, she moved away, and so we had to put the call out for new beating people. And uh, we have a couple people, Crystal and 
uh, Tracy that are going to do Monday nights now from six till eight beating circles so people can drop in then. Um, what else do we have? We have next uh, Friday, we have Truant Liberatia and Northern Steel with uh, Vile State playing. So it'll be um, a metal show. Um, we also like just had Kim Kim Briggs and Kim Gucci last night. It was an amazing show. It was so beautiful hearing their wonderful voices and um, hearing their stories that go along with the songs. Um, and then I guess just looking forward into October, we have some more DJ events with uh, Way Too Loud crew presenting an underground session volume one and uh, another one following that is kind of around Halloween, so you can start getting your tickets in advance for those. A group from Kamloops, Kilowatt, is coming, and Tube Screamer and Waniac are playing on the 26th. So uh, we book events well into the future. Sometimes they're really last minute, like that one Seifer show that <laughs> popped up last minute that we were so happy to have come to our space. And um, it's always nice seeing new faces and new musicians and supporting the musicians as much as we can. Um, we're not, you know, a company, we're not a, you know, promotional organization, but as a group of volunteers, we all put in our piece to try and get these events out there and get people in the door to see these artists of all types. I really love the diversity of events that Amanika puts on. There's really no, there's no loyalty to one genre or to one particular type of event, and I think it makes for a really dynamic space. Do you find that having those weekly recurring events also helps to foster a sense of community around the space? Yeah, it definitely does, especially for the volunteers that are part of it because they invite their friends and more friends come and um, even people just dropping in once in a while. It's nice to see new faces and especially the cultural element because a lot of them do have that piece woven into it. Um, and, and talking about language and culture, the word Amanika is a word that we um, use because we're looking at the region we're trying to serve, not just, you know, Prince George and Clayley. We're looking at that word Amanika popped up several times and we decided let's find out what that word means. It's actually Sakani word and it refers to the area um, in the water and the river where it flows slowly and wide so it's kind of that slow calm peaceful area and we thought that's the perfect place for us where you know the waters all kind of turn together and kind of chill and relax so that's kind of the atmosphere we're looking for in this space. Mm-hmm. You are listening to Culture Confluence, a podcast hosted by me, Kate Partridge, airing on C for 88.7 FM with support from the Community Arts Council of Prince George. Uh, and maybe, can you tell us a little bit about your own art? Because you're an artist in your own right. Yeah, um, I went to Emily Carr to learn how to be an artist, and uh, it was it was an absolutely amazing experience meeting all those really talented artists, those up and coming. Like I I got to hang out with Sunny Asu and uh, Lawrence Polly Wellington, and like uh, just some of these great Indigenous artists that haven't really made it big in the world. I sometimes wonder how come I never made it there, but <laughs> that kind of comes down to myself as an artist and my choices, right? I wanted to teach since I was a kid, so I knew that that was one of my passions. I always created things, um, and now I get to help teach other students and facilitate art community activities. And then I do my own work. My own work is all commission work, so I don't have like you know, piles of prints and things like that ready for sale. Uh, there's the odd times I do that, but in general, I just am a 
bit of a non-consumerist type person. I don't want to make more garbage for the environment. You know, I know people approach me for scarves and cards and stuff and like, yeah, that'd be great, but I know where it's going to end up. <laughs> Hand it in, you know, to the garbage bin or, you know, passed along, which isn't too bad. But I just don't want to keep contributing to making and using things and the throwaway culture. So um, the work that I do is always for a purpose. It helps me be able to focus on what I'm creating so that there's meaning behind everything that I do. Um, there's the odd times where I'm just like, you know, driven by the art muse passion in my um, heart that, you know, I throw something down and it has to get done. But um, generally, most of the work that I do is by commission. Hmm. And how does your personal relationship to your art in the way that you just described kind of inform how Amanika is run and how you approach your work there? I think... It's a lot like how I work, because when people ask me, what kind of art do you do? Um, I do all kinds of art. I do carving and painting and drawing and uh, sculpture and digital work. And so I kind of think, you know, Amanika is in that same realm of kind of does everything. (laughs) It's very flexible and adapting to the needs of the community at that time for whichever needs they are. Trying to be, you know, with Amanika, we try to be as inclusive as possible. And we do have a little bit of a political element in where we're, you know, advocating for, you know, murder to missing Indigenous women and, um, you know, just the uh, LGBTQ community and, you know, anti-pipeline and (laughs) all that fun stuff we kind of do help out in those areas by allowing people to use the space you know for free quite often for those fundraisers but at the same time we have to kind of balance you know we got a lot of free things happening but we need to pay the bills so I think for us the the biggest thing that helps us pay those bills is at this point um, the patrons coming in and you know during licensed events and it's the bars that bring in a few hundred dollars here and there but yeah we need to kind of work on Uh, getting more fundraising so um, that's a lot like how I work I do lots of work for like dirt cheap (laughs) to be honest and I don't mind you know but then we got to find creative ways to make ends meet in the end as well Mm -hmm. Um, I saw you participated in the two rivers exhibition redress um, sacred obligations what was that like Wow, that was an amazing experience right from the beginning to the end. I mean, it was a bit daunting at the start with the call for submissions and the topic was reconciliation. And I'm like, oh, that one. (laughs) It's a big word. (laughs) So um, and I saw it when I submitted, I submitted a piece that I chose just one piece and I thought I don't want it to be grim and dark and um, really politically charged uh, in reality. What is really important to me with the reconciliation pieces is actually living and being a part of the environment. And, you know, we all have to carry the burden of the effects of residential schools and um, colonization and the continued colonial mindset and things like that. But in reality, what's going to help us is just, you know, keeping that love in our hearts and the environment at the core of protecting, you know, just sticking with what medicines we have for ourselves. So some some people it's dancing, some people it's music, some people it's drawing, you know, whatever your medicine is, it is what it is. So so I submitted my piece and then the Two Rivers Gallery, um, George and Megan called and wanted to, you know, they're, they're constantly consulting and trying to make sure things are done in the right way. And they decided, hey, you know, we had this idea of getting all the artists together that are available and looking at the show and discussing it and seeing if, you know, if we need to do anything special or change anything from the usual normal exhibition opening. And so it was really great to sit in a room, first time I've ever experienced this with 
the other people, like a good chunk of the other people in the exhibition and have those discussions and brainstorm and get ideas for what we can do to really make this a meaningful experience for everyone. So we got, uh, you know, we got some drummers in, we got some performance pieces, we had, um, you know, just the right people there. And the place was packed that night. It was just such a beautiful environment um, on such heavy, like the cautions that were put out there, right? We wanted to make sure we're taking care of ourselves and each other with, um, with some of the topics there that like PTSD runs deep 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 for especially our older generation that has experienced directly firsthand a lot of the trauma and then there's the intergenerational trauma and the effects of that trauma that trickle down for several generations and um, some people you know would would enter the room and then they'd have to leave to gather themselves and um, so we made sure that there were counselors available during the exhibition to um, for people to debrief and talk and um, I think that's really thoughtful and a way to take care of people because some things will trigger people and put them in depression and we want to make sure that they don't fall down that rabbit hole. So the piece that I had, I was really glad, glad that I put that in because I thought, you know, I, I think, oh, I want to make a big statement, but at the same time, I don't want to, you know, draw people down that road. So I think, you know, my piece and along with some other people's pieces were more celebratory and sort of healing and focusing on that. So it was a nice balance of work in the ex exhibition and a huge diversity of nations represented there. Like, you know, a few of the artists that I had mentioned earlier and some really amazing local artists. It was just, you know, such a fun experience. That's great. Um, and what do you see as the responsibility of uh, arts communities and maybe yourself as well as an arts presenter to contend with the histories of colonization and ongoing disenfranchisement of indigenous communities? I think so far a lot of people are raising awareness like the musicians are singing songs about it now and you know in all genres not just like you know country or something it's like all genres have these you know the folk the metal the punk they all talk about it so um, it starts to raise awareness uh, with the visual arts too uh, they can be very powerful you know you'll hear something but until you're standing in front of it and looking at it directly you don't really get the impact and the more you think about it you know the the more you start to get it and understand because you know the different people have different lives and different experiences and if you don't have that experience there's no way you can ever know and I think the arts can kind of put you in a in a place kind of like a book you read a book and you're all of a sudden you're transported into this other world uh, and the arts can can do that as well yeah for sure Jen, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with me I really appreciate it how can people find out more about Amanika or get involved we have a website, www.omanika, O-M-I-N-E-C-A, arts with an S, center.com. Um, there's lots of information there about memberships, uh, volunteering. You can fill out application forms right online. You don't even have to waste paper, right? <laughs> um, and we have a calendar on there. Uh, we also have our Facebook page. We have Twitter and um, Instagram that I'm just learning how to use. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like some of our greatest needs right now are people to help with, you know, fundraising, grant writing, um, you know, at events because people are really busy during the summer and especially like a lot of our artists are touring or, you know, really busy as well. So uh, we also have our events posted with the Community Arts Council on their calendars and some local calendars as well. So you can usually join mailing lists. We have a mailing list as well. Um, 
and and contribute that way. Uh, if you know of any people with deep pockets, send them our information. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think just, you know, supporting the arts is super important in a lot of ways, even if you don't have financial means, you know, your time, your expertise, even your connections, right? Like we have strong connections with Two Rivers Gallery. We have the Community Arts Council and they've been just a wealth of information for us. So um, advice, feedback, feedback's always good too. I mean, it doesn't always have to be, you guys are awesome be like hey you know here's some ideas and so get involved give us a call um, an email or just uh, fill out an application yeah get out to the events Mm -hmm. always a great time awesome thanks Jen appreciate it thanks That was Jen Piggin from Amanika Art Center, talking about her own art, as well as her arts facilitator role at the Amanika Art Center. You are listening to Culture Confluence on CIFR 88.7 FM, presented by me, Kate Partridge, with support from the Community Arts Council of Prince George. Visit cfur.ca for old episodes of this podcast and to listen to this one in full. I'm sitting down today with Megan and Twyla of Two Rivers Gallery. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about your role there. My name is Megan Hunter-Gotzier. I am the assistant curator at Two Rivers Gallery. I've been there for just about four years now. And I'm Twyla Exner. I'm the director of public programs at Two Rivers Gallery, which means I manage the art education department. Mm -hmm. And I have been there for just over two years. And what do your day-to-days look like? Like, Megan, what's a typical day for you? I don't think there is such thing as a typical day um, at any art gallery, that's for sure. Uh, but some of the the projects and things that I do uh, include helping to manage exhibitions. So I work with George Harris. He is our curator and artistic director at Two Rivers Gallery. And I support George with all things related to the exhibitions, of which we have multiple spaces in the gallery. We have our Canfor Galleries, so that's a space... Uh, the main exhibition spaces that George normally curates and I help support with all all aspects from shipping artwork to the gallery, installing artwork in the space, arranging it, giving feedback, that kind of thing. Um, but I also manage an exhibition space called the Rustad Galleria and that is a space dedicated to regional and emerging artists within the regional district of Fraser Fort George. So whereas the Canfor Galleries caters to artists inter- uh, rather nationally, uh, the Rustide Galleria gives us a chance to look more locally and regionally as well. Great. How about you, Twyla? I work with a team of four other um, educators and support staff, and collectively we do a number of programs and events. So um, this includes school tours, uh, specialized art education modules for schools, community programs, which includes Saturday morning classes for kids, after school classes for kids, evening classes and weekend classes and workshops for adults, uh, youth programs, Sunday open studio, which is geared towards uh, families and as other folks who would just like to come and drop in and make, our Maker Lab program, our Art Heals, which is an outreach effort to 
long-term care among other uh, local facilities. Uh, we also do a number of events, which includes kids' art days, a trash and show, and whatever else may come our way. So we're a pretty bustling and busy group. Yeah, no kidding. It sounds like there's something happening pretty much all the time. Uh, what are some of the most unique aspects of Two Rivers Gallery? One of our unique aspects is our programming space. So a lot of public art galleries, when you go in and you go to their um, room where they do art their education programs. It's like a tiny room in a basement. At Two Rivers Gallery, we have a programming space which is equal to our exhibition space. That's unique within the public gallery realm within Canada. And it also speaks to why our educational initiatives are so encompassing. We have this huge space, so we need to fill it with people, ideas, projects. Another unique aspect of the gallery is our Maker Lab. We are one of the first galleries within Canada to have a maker lab within a contemporary public art gallery. And that allows us to look at our programming from a really interdisciplinary worldview and to open up what it means to make and create to be inclusive of all kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. How are exhibitions decided upon and curated? What's that process look like? Megan, that might be your realm. There are, how exhibitions are decided on and curated really depends on the space. As I mentioned, we have a few but I didn't list them all. We also have an outdoor exhibition space um, called the Sculpture Court that's also dedicated to primarily uh, regional and emerging artists, but we've also expanded uh, beyond that. What we exhibit there is sculpture that can withstand the elements. It usually ex exhibits for uh, about a six-month time period and over the course of winter, fall, um, that kind of thing. So we have a lot of experimental work that's gone out there in the past. Additionally, we also have uh, an exhibition called the Regional Outreach Exhibition um, that happens every summer. And it's a touring exhibition initiative that travels throughout the regional district. So between the Canfor Galleries, the Rustad Galleria, the Sculpture Court, and uh, the Regional Outreach Exhibition, there are slightly different processes involved. For the Canfor Gallery, how that usually works is our curator, artistic director, George, um, will have an artistic vision or a curatorial vision for a year looking forward and he will collect or bring together artists um, from various backgrounds from across the country based on his his general curatorial outlook for the year. And that happens in various ways. Sometimes it happens by seeing what colleagues are doing within Canada, within BC and learning about artists in that way. Other times, uh, it's internal, it's staff bringing up ideas uh, and George uh, hearing us out and we all sort of think together. There's also a process of artists applying for exhibitions, which we, we do at Two Rivers Gallery. We accept proposals and so George will have a roster of those to look through as well. For the Rustad Galleria, all those applications come through me. So it's an ongoing application process that never really closes. It's a, a, on a rolling, ongoing basis. And I'll usually fill up the space um, about a year and a bit in advance. There's about eight to 10 spaces per year. Uh, and they run basically anywhere from six to eight months. So I'll get a range of applications of locally, regionally. Sometimes I get applications from Vancouver, for example. But because the space is mandated to exhibit regional and emerging artists, uh, they definitely get priority within that, uh, within that space. So try to think about exhibiting a range of work. 
that's important. So if there's a lot of painting shows, uh, I might be giving priority to a sculptural related show or maybe a show based uh, on printing or even performance, that kind of thing, uh, to try to show a diversity of work in the space. Mm-hmm. Do you find there's a, a, a broad range of themes presented in proposals as well? For the Rusty Galleria, which I can speak to the best, um, it's a, a different kind of process in that uh, a lot. oftentimes I'm not getting fully flushed out exhibition proposals. A lot of the time it might be a simple application saying, this is what I'm doing, can I show my work? And that's completely fine because, as I mentioned, as a space for emerging artists as well, uh, this might be some artists' very first interaction with a public gallery space and one that pays professional fees. So in all our exhibition spaces, anytime we exhibit work by artists uh, at or by Two Rivers Gallery, we are paying artists. And that's a very important thing um, for an artist's career to be paid for their work. Uh, what are some of the exhibitions currently showing showing at the Art Gallery? In Actually, we have an exhibition opening in the Rusty Gallery uh, with work by Mark Toro. He is an artist based in Smithers, BC, who paints very vibrant, colorful landscapes. So we will have that opening. In the Canfor Galleries, both exhibition spaces are currently occupied by an exhibition titled Redress, Sacred Ob- Obligation, Indigenous Voices on Reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And in your opinion, what are some of the positive outcomes of promoting visual arts to the broader community? Like, how does Prince George as a whole benefit? So we offer activities for engagement that are fun. They offer an opportunity for social interaction. So, for example, you can paint with your friends and a glass of wine. You can create with your family on a Sunday afternoon. You can tour your visiting family through the galleries. So those are a few ways that... Um, our visitors interact with us and with the space. And I think that those opportunities are are very important for people to feel that they have ownership over the space, that it is part of their community, that we are not a space that's elite or only for those who, I don't know, like wear fancy clothes or have money. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're always working against that stereotype. In my experience in working with galleries, and I've worked with galleries since 2003, we're not like that at all. So we work a lot to overcome those stereotypes and to offer activities that people feel are exciting and relevant to their lives. I imagine it also has a positive impact on the businesses downtown as well. It's one more reason to come downtown. I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I think it's wonderful that we're, we're based within the heart of Prince George. We feel like an inclusive facility. We interact with the people in our neighborhood and we, we hope that everyone visits us downtown in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So this is a really big question, but in a broad sense, what do you see as the responsibility of arts communities and as art, of arts presenters to contend with the histories of colonization and ongoing disenfranchisement of Indigenous communities? It is a very big question. But uh, one thing that Two Rivers Gallery has been doing for many years um, has always been a priority of our curator artistic director, George Harris, since he's been there, is, is to exhibit work by Indigenous artists. And so... Um, representing Indigenous work, Indigenous artists, and supporting their careers has always been very important within the context of Two Rivers Gallery. Um, in the past, we've exhibited work by Lawrence Paul Yakwalepton, and we've exhibited work by Peter George, who's a local artist. He was actually in a regional outreach exhibition that toured the region. There's also been Indigenous artists included in group exhibitions, such as Elapsed, 
Uh, that n- exhibition included work by Jennifer Piggin and Ann Smith and Marianne Nicholson. So those are just a few artists that have been represented at Two Rivers Gallery in the past. And currently, with Redress, Sacred Obligation, Indigenous Voices on Reconciliation, we're sort of continuing that legacy, um, but maybe addressing the, the idea of reconciliation more directly. So with, with this exhibition, George Harris worked alongside co-curator Rose Spahan in developing a call for submissions that went out across the province to Indigenous artists who in turn responded to the call. Uh, a curatorial selection process uh, was undertaken and a selection of work was selected for exhibition, all of which addressed the issue of reconciliation um, within Canada today. Yeah, I had a chance to sit down with Jen Piggin um, just a little while ago, and she had really great things to say about the experience of participating in that exhibition, um, including, but not limited to, the thoughtfulness and attention paid to making sure that it was not a harmful experience for people coming through that space, and if it was triggering, that there were avenues available to them in which to deal with that. It was something that was considered to be a very important thing to do because a lot of the artwork in this exhibition deals with heavy subject matter. Some of it is very could be difficult for certain people to look at um, and to deal with. So having those avenues in place was really important for this exhibition. Mm-hmm. It's been a really important learning opportunity for us as a staff, and we are really grateful for the opportunity to learn about those avenues and how to care for people working around difficult subject matter and it's something we're looking to carry forward into our future work as well. I think it's also important to note that uh, admission for this exhibition is by donation and admission is always free for those who self-identify as Indigenous. Mm -hmm. How does the gallery as a whole work to foster that spirit of reconciliation um, and thoughtfulness in everyday activities or in all of your in all of the work that you do? Well, I can say that Two Rivers Gallery is is a very welcoming space. And though some people might think otherwise, maybe uh, some people might find the building intimidating, might not be sure what to expect upon entering an art gallery, but it really is a, a friendly and inviting space. And as, as Twyla said, we've taken initiatives to try to be more open um, and encourage Indigenous people to, to come to the gallery. And one of those steps has been to offer a free admission for those who self-identify to it as Indigenous. We also encourage people to drop by and look at our exhibitions, say hello, ask questions. Oftentimes, we have visitors come to see our Indigenous artist in residence, Leonard Paquette. And it, it's a very friendly place. Everyone's willing to talk to you and, and share. We also run a program called Maker Lab Youth Immersion. Uh, The program is a 12-month initiative. It runs with the school year, and it is targeted to have a minimum 50% enrollment from youth who self-identify as Indigenous. And through this program, the youth do a number of modules, which are led by local artists and mentors, which includes uh, Indigenous artist mentors as well. So they do modules in carving, in Northwest Coast design, in drum making. They also learn to use our 3D printer, our laser cutter and engraver. And throughout this program, the youth develop skills and ideas that may work towards either future employment possibilities, self-development, or developing as an artist. And 
towards the end of that program, youth then decide to work towards a self-directed project in which they receive support from mentors and they have an exhibition in the Rustad Galleria as a conclusion for the program. So that's another way that we encourage um, Indigenous youth to be a part of the space and to add their voices to our development. Great. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate you taking your time to come all the way up to the university here. Uh, if people are involved or interested in the gallery or getting involved, how do they do that? How can they find out more about you? We can be found on social media uh, as well as online on our website. You can also just come by and visit us. <laughs> as we said before, we're always happy to have visitors. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. listening to an episode of Culture Confluence, hosted and produced by me, Kate Partridge, with support from the Community Arts Council of Prince George and Seaford, 88.7 FM. Please email cfur underscore hello at cfur.ca for more information or to submit your ideas for future podcasts. You can visit studio2880.com for more information on the Community Arts Council and cfur.ca for more information on Seaford, 88.7 FM. You can also find full episodes of Culture Confluence at seafruit.ca, as well as on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. I'm joined today by Audrey McKinnon de Leon. Audrey, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your work as an artist? Yes, uh, my name is Audrey McKinnon de Leon, um, and uh, I am an artist who moved to Prince George about five years ago from Vancouver. Um, I have always been a painter, or I mean, I guess since uh, I was a teenager, I've been a painter, and before that, I was an artist, a drawing and all that, so um, it's just always who I've been. Um, and over the years, I hope that I've grown to a place where I'm an honest artist in my work. Um, I make really large, uh, striking pieces um, that I hope kind of uh, tell some truth about where I'm at in the moment that I've painted it. Great. So what was it like moving to Prince George from Vancouver? I'm actually from Victoria. I've only been here for a couple of years myself. Oh, just a couple of years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was that process like for you? And did it have an impact on your art? It absolutely did. Um, because when I was living in Vancouver before I came up here, I really hadn't um, painted in, in quite a while. Not consistently. Um, I had a son and I was a single mother living in poverty in Vancouver for a few years um, and uh, worked really hard to kind of get out of that financial hole and ended up building this career for myself. Um, And it was because I was working at CBC Radio uh, down in Vancouver and they said, oh, we've got some work for you up in Prince George. And I thought, well, consistent work, I'll take anything. Um, That was the reason I came up here. I wasn't thinking about art at all, but... When I did come up here, um, how I started creating again in Prince George, I'm not really sure how that came about. 
I feel like there was just kind of this welcoming and it's almost like somebody heard that I was an artist and then people started knowing me as, oh, she's an artist, she'll do this thing. And I started getting invited to various functions to paint, to live paint, to, um, you know, show my work or something like that. So, um, yeah, I would say this has been a really nurturing environment for me. I've still been very focused on having a career and maintaining that and paying the bills and um, the art portion of that has been a you know a side thing for the mm -hmm. most part even though it's something that goes through everything that I do but despite that I feel like it's really easy to continue being an artist in Prince George somehow it's it's just been the right place for it yeah I love hearing that you got such a warm reception when you moved here yeah is that kind of your general impression of the arts community in Prince George is open and welcoming I definitely think so yeah I feel like I didn't even really know the arts community in Vancouver I f I'm not really sure how to characterize what the arts community was in Vancouver I'm not sure I really found my people when I was there Prince George in general is just an open, welcoming place. And I don't know if you've noticed that from Victoria. There's a huge difference from Vancouver in the way people behave here. Yeah, I thought absolutely. there was something on my face when I first moved here. Because I'd walk past people on the street and I didn't know them and they were looking at me and smiling. And I was like, what What do I have something on my face or something like that? And, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a pretty disarming experience the first week <laughs> yeah. or so. And then you get used to it and it's really lovely um, and extends to all aspects of kind of my community experience here from Absolutely. becoming involved with Seifer to yeah. getting to know the music scene to just making friends in my everyday life. Something about Prince George, it just, Prince George provides the space for you to be able to do what you want to do in that moment, whether it's been career-wise, arts-wise, you know, personally with the mm -hmm. friendships and everything. This is, I, I love this city so much. I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in the work that you do, um, you work a lot on a large scale. Mm -hmm. But not exclusively on a large scale. What's the impact of the scale that you choose on your work and your approach to it? Well, um, I just have to paint large. <laughs> I feel so stifled by a small canvas or a small space. And as you said, not exclusively. Sometimes I do small pieces. And in those moments, that feels just fine. Um, I do tiny little needle felted um, soft sculptures. And those are on a very small scale. But when it comes to paint, I generally... Um, just I want to move my body when I'm painting and and I love big art it um, I feel like it just engrosses you it just swallows you up when you're standing there looking at a piece that is going right to the edges of your peripherals and um, you become immersed in what this person was trying to express so in this case this person is me and um, that's how I want to look at my pieces when they're done is I, I feel like I want to look at that work and just I want to feel the feeling and when it's that big and it's taking up that much space you can't deny that that's that feeling that's what's happening yeah, and with those larger pieces, you also have the option of moving in a little closer and kind of getting that abstracted yeah. detail. Do you think about that when you're painting on that large scale? I don't know if I think about it while I'm painting, but I have thought about that before. I, mm -hmm. I used to go to the art gallery in Vancouver, and I remember, like, I always felt like I was standing way too close to the paintings because I do like looking at art really close. And maybe that's part of why I paint so large as well, because that's kind of the scale that I'm thinking in, mm -hmm. is that, that detail. Um, and I do think that... A painting is more than the sum of its parts that you know when you look at 
a portion of a painting, sometimes just like a little swirl of paint or I, those are the things I really enjoy in paintings is looking at that. So I do like blowing it up to that huge proportion and then people have that opportunity to see things in a different way. Mm -hmm. And why is it so important, uh, do you think, to take up space as a female identifying artist? Mm -hmm. I love that question. I do take up a lot of space as an artist. And um, I haven't always taken up a lot of space as a woman. And I struggle a lot of the time to take up space as a woman. I push myself to take up space as a woman. For some reason, in painting, I don't feel like I have to push myself to do that. It happens really naturally. So maybe it's more just about the fact that artwork is a, a form of liberation for me that I'm able to actually just do that thing naturally and easily. Whereas I think in the rest of my life, it's it's a it's a struggle. It's every day I'm I'm pushing to try and and be you know a louder person. And some people would probably be surprised to hear that because I push myself very hard <laughs> to be a loud person and to be um, somebody who doesn't back down and somebody who doesn't get walked all over and. Um, yeah, growing up, I wasn't like that. I was very, very, very shy, painfully shy. Yeah. Was it a big learning curve when you started your role at CBC to kind of get used to having such a public uh, persona? You would think so. Um, but I don't, I, something about being on the radio is actually like one of the most intimate spaces to be for some reason for me. So I don't know. I think I'm a walking contradiction maybe because, yes, I think, you know, um, 10 year old me would have been in shock that I, you know, had a career in radio and that I hosted a, a provincial show and that I've been broadcast across the country. 10 year old me would have been like, what? No. But um, I don't know, for some reason, I've been able to break out of that. If you're a walking contradiction, then so am I. So are a lot of people <laughs> I know that make radio. Yeah, yeah. it's true. <laughs> Um, so I've seen you live paint at a few events, including Seifer's mm -hmm. Woman of the North Showcase a few years ago. Mm -hmm. What's that experience like? I love live painting. Um, I think it's really important that we don't think of art as having to fit into specific parameters all the time. And that includes the parameter of a finished piece. We think art needs to be finished in order to enjoy it a lot of the time. I think that there is kind of an assumption but I love the process of making art. And that to me is something I want to share with people. I want people to see what that's like. It's a beautiful process um, and it's a nerve wracking process. You don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of guessing, there's a lot of getting it wrong. And sometimes you end up with a piece at the end that you totally hate, which has happened in live paintings before. <laughs> um, but that's part of the risk and it's part of the thrill. And I totally want to invite people into that to kind of the, break them out of this idea that art needs to be stationary, art needs to be finished. You know? mm -hmm. What do you think the impact is of breaking people out of that assumption um, and making them interact with visual arts in that way? Um, I hope it opens their mind a little bit and you know, gets them to ask questions when they're looking at work. And I think maybe that's why I look at art so close as well. It's it's looking at how that piece was created and I get a lot of joy out of that. So I hope that when people see me live painting that they kind of tap into some of that joy as well. I really just want to share the experience. Mm -hmm. um, so in your opinion, what can the community do to ensure women and girls feel supported and encouraged to create? I was thinking about this before I came here. Um, and I looked up some stats <laughs> and uh, I think that it's a fallacy to think that um, women and girls aren't creating as much as men. 
I think it's about 50-50, 50, 50% um, of you know, the arts community is women, 50% is men. Um, the problem, I think, is that um, it's disproportionately tends to be men who are represented in galleries. I think it's like 70% or somewhere towards 80, maybe. Um, so I think that if we want to support women and girls in the arts, um, we need to know how well we're doing to begin with. I would love to see an inventory taken at our galleries here in Prince George to look at how uh, how often are we um, showing off our male artists, how often are we showing off our female artists and representing them. And um, if we're seeing a discrepancy here, which I don't see why we wouldn't, because, you know, it's a broader stat that I'm talking about. Um, and I think sometimes with these things, if you're not actively doing something about it, you're probably falling right into that statistic. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if we did look at those numbers and see that um, we're not representing women as much as we should be, as much in proportion to how many female artists we have, um, we need to be asking why. What's getting in our way? What's getting in their way? Um, are we considering their art uh, with the same validity as we consider art by males? And if for some reason, there's a discrepancy. We need to know why. Where can people find you online? You want to check um, out your right art? now, sadly, I'm only on Instagram. <laughs> I should just be proud it's about that. It's the way that. of the future. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. You can look me up, Audrey McKinnon De Leon, um, or Instagram. Uh, I am De Leon underscore art is my Instagram handle. Yeah, that's where you can find me online right now. I hope to get a website up soon and get something better going because that's pitiful. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for spending the time to come up and chat with me today. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Culture Confluence on CIFR 88.7 FM. Music for today's episode is by Bad Bad Not Good. If you have any questions about the music or this podcast, please email me at cfur underscore hello at cfur.ca. I would love to hear from you. Make sure you subscribe to Culture Confluence on your favorite podcast provider to get the latest episodes straight to your device. And leave us a review if you feel so inclined. Big thanks to all my guests today, to C for 88.7 FM, and to the Community Arts Council for their support. <laughs>